yeah, we'll do. There you go. Everyone, everyone needs a hug. That's right. Mark. That's it. But not everybody I, needs a trophy. You, well, that's just right. well, listen, speak for yourself. I never got a trophy in high school, so I'm still waiting for my. I never got a bowling trophy. I got. I get no. I didn't play sports. I didn't get a little league trophy. I wasn't in judo. I got. But nothing. is that because you no weren't in these sports, or because you? Well, didn't yeah, but win. you got to okay. do it to get a trophy. You do well, it listen. <laughs> I want to participate? I didn't even get a participation trophy. Oh, and they get a now participate so. because you didn't participate. Oh, <laughs> Did you get that? Like, I, you know what, Rob? I never, ever, ever win the lottery. Yeah, I guess I gotta buy a ticket. That's yeah, right. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Well, you're in the wrong. You're in the wrong country because it I is one point nine billion. Mm-hmm. Oh, one wow. by one person. Listen, oh. if listen, if um, Ugh. if I just vanish. Out of thin air, that means I want. Okay, just let me. Okay. Know. Yeah, there you go. Well, you hear? Could you go and could you go buy Twitter back from Elon Musk? You can pretty much drive that into the ground with your one point two billion. Actually, I don't even know if that's that's won't be enough. Yeah, won't be enough. Well, won't then buy enough. Star Wars back from Disney and fix that. Do something with it. Something good for it. Recording in progress. Hey, and welcome to a, another episode of AT Banter. <laughs> hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. Uh, Miss Liz Malone. Hey there. And, uh, no Steve Barkley. Uh, we're not sure where he is, but he's doing something very important. Must be. So no, no bark holes. No, no, no Barkley, you Barkle heads out there. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know what? Can I tell you guys a quick story before we dive in? Sure. So, and cause I want your guys' honest opinion about this, because I think when I say my name, do I, do you think it sounds like I'm saying Robin? No. No. I, really? Okay. So I had, to, I had to, so I had to leave a message for my landlord. I had some, I had some like leakage happening in my bathroom and I had to leave a phone message for him uh, yesterday. And I left a phone message for him, told him my name. And then he emailed me back and he's like, Hey, Robin. Uh, and then, you know, we've been on and stuff and, and, you know, when I do the transcripts every weekend, the computer algorithm takes the audio and transcribes parts of it. Uh, it always calls me Robin as well. So now I'm all, now I'm kind of freaked out about the fact that people, people in my life think my name's Robin. What I'd be more concerned about is how long have you had this landlord? He should know who you are by now. Well, it's, he's a new land, newish landlord. Oh, okay. We haven't had an interaction really yet. He's only been here a year, and oh. usually, you know, you don't you don't talk to your landlord unless something goes wrong. I live in a, <laughs> I live in a ten-story building, so you, you know, you might need to put a, um, just a slight hesitation between your first and last name. Okay, we'll see. This is the feedback that I need. So, okay, so let me let me. Okay, let's try this real quick. Okay, ready? Yeah. Hi, my name is. Okay, I'm just gonna say it normally. Hey, my name is Rob Minot. 
Oh, you're right. That does sound like Robin, doesn't it? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta just, okay, you, you, need, you gotta take the, oh, man. a little hesitation. Just a little. Well, see, I gotta apologize to our guests because now, now I'm going through some sort of a life change right now, but <laughs> we're, we're rolling with this. Uh, so, okay. So let me try it one, one last time and then we'll bring, bring our guests on. So, hi, my name is Rob Minot. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. Write that down today. Yeah. Okay. We'll see how the transcript comes out. If it says Rob Minot, see if it gets. Yeah, right that's right. Time. See, exactly. All right. Well, yeah. good. Well, now that we've got all the important work out of the way, uh, let's have some fun. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm all, I, I, so, okay. I'm going to leave on a high note. I solved Rob's problems. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's that's true. Your your work is. I solved your work a problem for done. the day. I'm done. That's right. It's just like quantum leap. You just leapt in, solved my problem, and then you're just leaping out. Great eighties eighties TV reference. Okay, Ryan. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks at home uh, what the heck we're doing today? Today we are finally able to wrap up our series we had began earlier this year on ableism and so joining us again this week is sean marcelet hello sean hello and our guest back again to educate us is amy amanti welcome oh, amy thank you everyone happy to be here glad you all could make it yeah it's a big day around here uh clearly because you know why because my name is Rob, no. <laughs> I feel like I've just discovered myself. This is great. <laughs> Say goodbye to Robin. Okay, uh, let's 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 dive into this conversation. So we're continuing on with the conversation about ableism, but we're talking about a really interesting. Uh, aspect of this. And it hadn't been something that was really on my radar until Amy mentioned it uh, last time we all, we all got down and sat together, uh, which is sort of this idea of, of a hierarchy of disability. So mm -hmm. rather than me butchering it, Amy, can you kind of give us a, a little bit of an overview of, of what we mean when we, when we say that? Yeah, I can give you like a log line, like a Webster's Dictionary log line of disability hierarchy, obviously not written by Webster's Dictionary, but um, so disability hierarchy is a social construct that makes certain kinds of disabilities more acceptable than other kinds of disabilities. So when we think about how, you know, this, these four episodes of conversation around ableism and internalized ableism and all of these things, um, ableism, of course, uh, as a reminder for folks, is the, the idea that uh, the able-bodied experience is the only experience of value. It is the right experience, and everybody else who doesn't have that is not living life properly, essentially. So if, if under ableism, disability is seen as a negative, right? Um, so in the disability hierarchy, the more non-disabled you appear, the higher up on the hierarchy you actually are. So it's kind of within the disability community, how we peg like wheelchair users versus blind folks versus folks with cognitive disability versus, you know, autistic folks and all of that. That's the higher, like the hierarchy. And go talk. Well, so, <laughs> so now, so now is this something that manifests mainly in the community or is this something that can sort of show up? outside of of the disability community as well yeah so like literature tells us that culturally speaking this hierarchy was actually created by non-disabled folks able-bodied folks 
um, as a way of looking at us like, well, you know, uh, this person has, and really I think a lot of this in the language we're using today is privilege. A lot of, a lot of this boils down to privilege. Um, but what has happened is uh, I think with, it's, it's alive and well within the disability community. I'm, I'm seeing this right now in a program that, I won't name the program, but a program that uh, we have students of cross disabilities um, who are, they don't experience the same disability in sort of a learning environment. And uh, some of them don't want to work with others because they can't, in air quotes, rise to the level of somebody else, right? So like, think about this in the context of somebody who has a cognitive disability and somebody who doesn't. And maybe you're doing, I don't know, a partnered presentation. Somebody's gonna carry more of the workload than the other because they're not peers intellectually. And that's part of the disability hierarchy. So, the you know, there are folks on this on this hierarchy that are are looked at as more capable, therefore are higher on the are on the hierarchy, and those who are looked at as less capable are lower on the hierarchy. I think it even happens within a disability it group, does. right? Like if you yeah, have absolutely. more vision, you may be perceived as better than someone with who's totally blind, for example. Absolutely. Both both from the outside world, the like the sighted world, and from the from the the blind world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is is some of that like steeped in a, a bit of utility? Like like and what I'm thinking of is say sports, for example, right? Where you have the different categories of of vision in order to place people that make to make sure that mm. that that playing field is is level. Does some of that make sense in some contexts? Yeah, I would say that that's not a part of the disability hierarchy. Yeah, I think so that's just you're trying to make it fair. Yeah, you're talking outside of the hierarchy. The hierarchy is a lot for me. It's a lot about like internalized ableism, right? Where you're like, listen, I'm a wheelchair user. I don't have a cognitive. Dis this is an example, right? This is a real life example that I'm experiencing recently, where a wheelchair user said, literally in air quotes, there's nothing wrong with my brain. I can't work with somebody who, who, you know, can't make two plus two equal four. And right. that internalized, right? So the, the wheelchair user in this circumstance is looking at the person with the learning disability as not valuable. What they have to contribute is not valuable. And then they don't want to associate with these folks because it makes the wheelchair user look like they're less capable too. Like there's all of these dynamics that mm. happen. I mean, in the blind community, we often, this is like, I don't know if this is like the, the, the never ending joke, you know, in the gay community, they say, hey, you're gay and you're gay, why don't you date? In the disability community, they say you're blind and you're blind, why don't you two date? It's like, it doesn't work that way. Just because we're blind doesn't mean we're friends, right? Um, and I think the hierarchy plays into that too. Cause as Sean pointed out, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know, I have some partial sight. I don't know that I can work with this person who's ha never had sight. So we tend to do this on the autism spectrum. There are some people who are, who are um, have a more complex um, experience with autism and some people who have more of a mainstream experience, right? And everybody's afraid of being painted with the same brush. Well, and is, is part of this just sort of a symptom of how varied the quote disability community is because if you're if you're really just painting with that one brush you're talking about a huge amount of different types of disabilities and then you know subcategories of those disabilities mm -hmm. so you're you're talking about an incredible amount of of people with various degrees of of needs it, it maybe is is that some some of the problem definitely yeah. I, I think that 
lumping disability all together in the first place when we are so diverse. It, it's the same as lumping at any uh, culture together as all being the same. They're not, you know, so, and disability, yeah, it's so varied. And, and we don't want to be misunderstood and we already are misunderstood. So if you're going to see that one blind person and, and then consider that I'm the same or that one person with a disability and, and then, you know, see me as that as well, that's kind of scary. Right. I think that there's a couple different angles that when you're talking about the hierarchy of disability, that you have to relate to in order to kind of wrap your brain around it. Because I think that it's such a big topic that in one hand, I think, cause I think we ha- we're all talking about things and, but we're, we're, we're kind of having all of these dialogues like, right, even happening right now, they're kind of all sort of intersecting or running parallel. And I think that the one point that I would just at least like to make about this topic is that the hierarchy is so based upon the perception whether it's the perception of the able-bodied community about their stereotypes and things that they perceive about the disabled community. And then there's also the aspect of within the disabled community and the internalized ableism that shifts our own personal perceptions about ourselves, how we feel and how we project maybe even onto other members of other parts of the disabled community. So there's different ways in terms of how the hierarchy is viewed based upon where you stand. And I think it is very similar in terms of, at least in terms of construct, when you look at some of the different minority groups, for example. So members of of the African-American Black community will sometimes you'll hear stories about those who are of lighter complexion, maybe being perceived as having more privilege and maybe they are, and I'm not saying, but there's also the perception that maybe if you are of darker complexion that you are considered more ethnic or you are more, you know, more stereotypes might be applied by somebody who maybe is just not one who is living within a diverse community, for example. So it's it's all, coming down to the perception and where you stand in terms of where you are in the discussion of disability. Yeah. And I would say like, you're absolutely, sadly, perception seems to be everything, right? Like all all of these, all of these, these constructs, these social constructs, the disability justice stuff, it all intersects, as you point out, it all relates sort of back one to the other. There's a movement right now called radical inclusion, um, which is, to Sean's point, this idea of, hey, anybody with a disability is welcome in this space. Doesn't matter what the disability is, but nobody's taken into consideration what the access needs are of those individuals. So, for example, when we put deaf folks in a space with hearing folks, say blind folks, you know, blind folks need audible, deaf folks need visual, right? Are we conflicting access needs? Um, if we have people that have, um, uh, who are neurodiverse, who have, Uh, maybe complex learning disabilities, and they're in a space with people who don't have complex learning disabilities, what is it that we need to provide them with access to whatever that whatever it is we're doing to participate um, so that they can so we can meet those folks at their level, but also meet other folks at their level, but they're at two different levels. Mm -hmm. So this idea of radical inclusion, while in theory, I feel like 
it could be utopia if it were to work, but we're not there yet. Um, and what tends to happen is organizations who may be familiar with one type of access need, like let's say physical disability, invites folks with um, uh, mental illness into a space, but they don't know how to properly um, care for those access needs. And then you have chaos. Nobody gets what they need in an environment. Nobody can learn what they need to learn in that environment. And then, and then you go into this question of like, okay, do we now silo people? Do we now say this is a function just for blind folks and this is a function just for wheelchair using folks and this is a function just for autistic folks? And I would say that there are many folks in the community that I am learning about who wanted like radical inclusion, experienced it and went actually, you know what? I'm actually better just to do like this thing with, with the people in my sort of, I don't know, disability category uh, because That's we feel at home. That's totally making me think of times when I've participated in uh, a group like that, where it's for anyone with any disability. <clears throat> and I often feel the most disabled mm. because they're still all looking at print material that I can't read, or we're still, you know, I was in an adapted PE class in high school and we're still playing volleyball and badminton. Yeah. Like we're making the ball softer. So when I get hit in the head, it doesn't hurt as much, but I still can't do the thing. So and then you become kind of resentful and, or you're experiencing the hierarchy for yeah. real. Like yeah. I feel more disabled here than I do with my sighted folks. Yeah. So there's a problem. And, and I think if we look at even hiring, right? Like if we look at employment, if we look at education, we look at this, the privilege that somebody gets, if you're a wheelchair user, let's say, um, and your barriers are mobility related, uh, manual wheelchair users who are still operating their own wheelchairs have more power, have more pr privilege, sorry, than power chair users who may have limited dexterity. So when we look at the, you know, the privilege just really means that they have the availability to do more things um, within their within their lived experience. So the folks that are, are in the disability community that are getting the most jobs at the highest pay rate are folks that are using like manual wheelchairs and not folks that are uh, autistic, mm. right? Um, and you can, I mean, like logistically and intellectually, you can kind of go, hmm, maybe I can understand that. But then like your ick meter goes up and goes, oh, how ableist is that? And this is the example of why ableism is is everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's so interesting. I was in a workshop learning, learning because I'm, I'm constantly taking workshops myself about um, a di people's different, exper different experiences of ableism as it relates to disability justice. And some of the things I was thinking, yeah, I get that, but I'm willing to give it a pass, right? Like somebody who uses the accessible bathroom that doesn't have a disability, mm. that's ableism. And you're like, huh, okay. But when I'm in line at, you know, I don't know, the Queen Elizabeth theater and there's 20 bathrooms and 400 people, <laughs> like somebody's got to use that bathroom, but under disability justice, you leave that bathroom alone and it's just for the privilege of folks who need the accessible bathroom. Otherwise it's able, I like, right? So your hmm. brain, my brain, it feels like a piece of, of like, I don't know, Play-Doh sometimes it's being stretched in all these different ways where I'm like, huh, I can see both sides of this coin and I don't know where I fit um, in my thinking. Yeah, because we don't necessarily need the accessible washroom, but technically we qualify to use it. That's right. <laughs> right. Although it is handy. You don't have to find everything. It's all and in then, one room. <laughs> yeah. And well, exactly. And then I think about like the parent with the baby stroller who doesn't have the disability, but it's also convenient for them mm -hmm. 
And they're mm -hmm. often the folks that are using it when it's like, hello, I need to pee, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think about like the quadriplegic who needs to go in and use that bathroom and is waiting because all of these other able-bodied folks are like, no, we just like the extra space. And it's like, yes, but that extra space was built for them to transfer. Mm -hmm. And you got to find yourself like in the middle of this somehow, somewhere, right? I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's of any, I think we all know what I'm saying is I think we all know that if you don't have a disability parking placard and you park in a, an accessible spot, that is ableist. Um, we, we seem to have no problem calling that spade a spade when we recognize that somebody's like, oh, I'm just running in for my coffee. I'm sorry, I'm just parking in the accessible spot. That that is highly ableist. But when it comes to the bathrooms, you're kind of like, huh, where's the gray area, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's why I think these conversations are so interesting and so full of gray area that um, if you look at it as a continuum, each person for themselves has to kind of decide where they are in their thinking on this stuff. Is it ableist to take an elevator if you can take the stairs? That's a good question. Um, I would say, I don't know. I don't think that elevators were built specifically for wheelchair users, mm. whereas accessible bathrooms were. Okay. I think elevators yeah. probably at some point when they were built were probably built for convenience of carrying heavy loads. Right. I bet you the freight elevator was probably one of the first elevators. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But and that's for so, lazy people. Like, <laughs> that's me. Just kidding. I mean, I like the elevator. I take um, the elevator too. So yeah. depends. But then, you know, if it was ableist, right? We'd be like, well, we, you know, we we check that box. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to keep my teeth in my face, which is always my joke. No tripping up or downstairs. I like to keep my teeth in my face. I, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating to me. I, I just feel like this is. This is really what makes us unique as a species. I feel like this is a very human thing. And I was, I was talking to Ryan about this earlier today. Um, I, cause it, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to end. Like no matter you put a group of people together, no matter how big or small the size is, and you're always going to get these splinters of, you know, everybody wants to feel like they're, they're right. Their attitude is right or that their situation is somehow special. I feel like that's just part of being human. And it, it I think it does take a little bit of work and a, a, a little bit of self-reflection and to really think through some of these scenarios to really um, sort of push through some of these, these um, you know, we'll call it here, we'll call them ableist because that's kind of what we're talking about, but it could be anything. It could be any sort of ism. Um, you just sometimes we as humans, we just have trouble putting ourselves in other people's shoes or, or really being self-reflective. And I think that that's that's where some of this stuff comes from. What, what do you guys think? I would say, Rob, my my slight pushback to that is that I think the only people not that they want to be right, but that are fighting for these isms are folks that come from equity seeking backgrounds that's a whole other conversation about white privilege right right like we could go we could go in into all sorts of those things too, believe the system or not but you know i as a white person uh disability or not if i went into the hospital tomorrow and said i'm in pain they'd likely give me morphine if i was a person of color or an indigenous person with a disability they probably look at me as i as if i was seeking right like there's a certain amount of privilege as white folks that we have we get given the benefit of the doubt um, 
So isms play a, uh, I think a, a big role in this. If we weren't equity seeking folks looking for equity, we wouldn't have to fight and say, wait a second, what this is, what, what you're doing here is wrong. It's racist or it's ableist or it's, you know, whatever any of the ists slash isms are. So that would be my only pushback, truly. The, you know, the, the interesting part of it is, is just how it manifests within a community, which, but I think that the disability community maybe is, is sort of, I think what, what differentiates it from, from a lot of other equity seeking people is that it is so, so varied. And I think that that lends some issues here um, that, that sort of are, are unique to that community. But um, I also think that like part of it is, is this idea of everybody's competing for sort of limited resources, which is a problem in and of itself. But when you're in a community that, that has to sort of advocate for your, your needs and, and to advocate against whatever barriers that are put up in place. And those work against some other community that are working, you know, working for the same means. That's, I think that's kind of when, when you, you have bumping of heads within the community. Uh, maybe. I, <laughs> I, think, I think I'm just like trying to figure it out for myself. And I'm thinking, I really feel like internalized ableism plays a role in, I'm thinking of early on in, in my twenties, um, you know, just in groups where there were people who were blind, um, and I had a bit more vision then. And, uh, you know, I had this, I think I, I felt it. I felt like, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as them or as, as bad off or as, or, or I just saw myself right. differently or wanted to be perceived differently like wanted to prove that I was different or better in some way. And I don't thankfully feel this way anymore, but you know, that is part of my own journey of like, don't, don't, you know, I, I hid my blindness for a really long time right. wherever I could. Right. So it's like, I can get by without looking blind. Um, and as long as I don't act blind, whatever that means, you know, I'm, I'm going to not, I'm not going to feel around for the thing in front of me because that looks blind. Mm. And then I'd be like those people who are actually blind. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So Sean, how do you, in your work with blind beginnings, um, try and empower folks around blindness and low vision? Like that is okay. That experience is okay. So do what you need to do fine stuff. Like I'm curious. Yeah. You I now think, how you pass that right. on. It's, it's really trying to, first of all, normalize the experience of blindness and, and point out that it's not, that we're not less than we're, we just experience the world differently. And maybe even, maybe we're even a little more interesting, you know, like trying to spin it. Like we, we do life differently. That's not a bad thing. And look at all these other great, cool blind people doing great, cool stuff. Right. So trying to sort of, I guess like erase the stereotype of blindness of, of blindness equating yeah. to helpless and and yeah. trying to see like look how different we all are look at all the range of talents and skills we all have and we all just happen to be blind so clearly blindness does not equal any particular thing and you don't need to be ashamed of your blindness i mean I, they're not just going to not be ashamed because i told them not to like yeah. but hopefully they've encountered you know i met 
I didn't know anybody who was blind when I was growing up. So my stereotype was the stereotype of like the blind man begging on the corner. Yep. And I know, I knew I didn't want to be that. So, but I, I see it within the kids. I see this hierarchy playing out with, you know, kids who have low vision versus the kids who have no vision and mm. almost this kind of lording their vision over sometimes like, mm. Oh, I'll do that for you. And well, you're not going to be able to do that because you're blind. I'm not really blind. I'm not totally blind. Like just even the, the language that they use, not wanting Does to that use come from word. parents. Do you think, I mean, it's got to come from the outside world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it might, I, you know, it could be, it could be even in a well-meaning way of like trying to talk to the child about their vision and saying, but you're not totally blind. You still have vision or maybe not wanting to use the word blind in reference to their kid, because that's too hard, right? Like not mm. wanting to acknowledge it. I don't know. When I was a teenager, um, I remember going to summer camp with other kids that were blind and I was allowed to go in the pedal boats with, uh, without a sighted person, I had enough vision. So they made a list of the kids who were, uh, you know, you could, you could go in the pedal boats with a staff person or with these particular kids. And I was one of them. Huh. So the, the organization also set it up. There was a hierarchy. There was like, yeah. I have guiding privileges. I have boating privileges and you don't because you're totally blind. And that's the only reason, as opposed to you're an adult and you're a child, right? Right. Like are, are nothing to do with my ability to swim or my capabilities yeah. in the boat or anything. Just yeah. you have this much vision. So you're okay. Hmm. Yeah. There's such stigmatization around um, disability. And then when you, I, I was, you know, these things, I, I intellectually know these things, but I don't experience them, experience them as a, as a white settler. Um, but I was taking an Uber the other day and, um, the man who was driving was an Indo-Canadian man. And, um, he was very lovely to me in that, uh, a lot of times when I tell Uber drivers, cause I now have to tell them that I, I used to tell them that I was blind. Now I tell them I hold a white cane just because if they don't know what the white cane means, they'll at least see a white cane and they'll mm. like, it doesn't necessarily mean because I was getting canceled on all the time. Um, and that was like jeopardizing me getting a ride. So I just said to this, this guy that in my text to him, I have a white cane, you know, and I'm standing on the corner of whatever, whatever. Okay. So he picks me up and he doesn't say anything for a long time. And then eventually he works up the courage to, to ask me about blindness. Mm. And, um, and, uh, he is not a, uh, uh, like he's a, um, an immigrant to Canada and him and his sister, he's, uh, are here and his sister has two children who both have an eye disease. He couldn't name it. Hmm. Um, I gave, I did, I did pass on to him. The, uh, the <laughs> I was say. Resource. <laughs> Thank but you. What he, what he was telling me was, um, right now they're like heavily involved in the medical system, putting these kids through all sorts of different surgeries, trying to save their sight because in their community, like disability is very bad. And I said to him, you know, I said, I lost my sight as an adult. And I said, there was a, a bit of a learning curve. I said, but life is not impossible and life should be embraced and lived. And these kids can do beautiful, wonderful things if they have the right community around them. 
to be able to learn how to embrace who they are. And then I said, like, you should check out this blind beginnings organization, right? Because I just thought, like, I'm sure there are other people from a cultural perspective who are like, nah, -uh, I'm gonna lock my kids behind a door. Nobody's gonna need to know that my kids are blind or low vision mm -hmm. or need a wheelchair or have cerebral palsy, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then what kind of message does that send to those children? That like, I mean, talk about ableism and, and then internalized ableism. Um, and then what happens to those children when their family has passed on? Then they're in a world where they can't, they can't be independent. They don't know how, they don't have skills. They don't have confidence, right? Like the importance of allowing young people to feel like who they are is good enough. Mm -hmm. huh. Any young kid, whether you have a disability or not, but you know, it's more profound when you, when you live with some kind of disability that you are told that you're not enough. Yeah. Anyways, I hope that they reach out to you, Sean. I hope but so. Sadly, yeah, I thanks. think that maybe they're not there yet, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I just thought, oh my God, and I don't know the age of these, of these children, whether they are, you know, five or 12, you know, because mm -hmm. all of those things make a difference, but just the effort he was talking about the, because really what he wanted from me was what doctor can I send my kids to yeah. to save their eyesight? And what I clearly said to him was I had five surgeries. Nobody could save my eyesight but I don't mind living the life that I have now. Like that was, for me, it was like, you know, every, the world looks at the fact that I lost my sight and I look at the fact that I gained a gift. It takes a while to get there, but that's how I look at, that's how I frame it now for me. Mm -hmm. And I bet you still, when I say that a lot of other people are like, what, how does that work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's how I want to frame it. Yeah. I could frame it all sorts of ways to live my life, but that's how I want to frame it. Well, uh, all I have to say is next time you take an Uber, uh, you should really tell them about the AT Banter podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, you, you want to, he doesn't ask. Do you want to just, here's, here's a, a side funny thing. I got, I got contacted after we did the first episode of this ableist series by a gent. Uh, I have his name down somewhere by a gent in India who is writing an algorithm about ableist language oh. and listened to us talk about ableism on the really? podcast wow. and it reached out to me to say, are you interested in helping consult on wow. this, That's on, cool. on this algorithm? Yeah. And the algorithm really? is supposed to be for like job postings and catching ableist language and job, job postings. Oh. And it's so interesting because all wow. three of these, these PhD, these doctoral PhD, I, I think, I swear to God, they feel like they have triple doctorates to me. Um, they're all doctorates in language. None of them have a disability. Mm -hmm. um, all living huh. in India, uh, one man and two women. And um, and the the extent to ableism that they're talking about is again, like it is beyond what like hands on experience, getting your foot in the door that those right. are ableist microaggressions because not everybody has hands. Right. And it's like, so where's the extreme? We talked about this oh. a lot. Where's the extreme? But right. they're trying to look at these things from a job posting perspective so that when folks read this, I mean, one of the things I always see in a job posting is um, you must have a driver's license. And it's like, well, I don't. And that's right. not my fault. Right. And so, like, how do we reframe that so it's not like you're cutting a bunch of people out of the equation? Right. It's just totally interesting stuff where these conversations are going. And that's yeah. all due to AT banter. Aww. Wow. Well, listen. So, no, you have people that are listening to you in India. There that's you go. Cool. Invite them on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an right. interesting. The funniest yes. thing yeah, about actually, working with those folks. Like 
is that I'm like getting up at 4 a.m. for Zoom meetings because the time oh, wow. right. yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, no, listen. It's great. Well, we yeah. look forward to getting our commission check on this, uh, this new <laughs> well, piece of business, well, Amy. I haven't been paid for anything, so uh, when I get paid, you can get paid. Yeah, clearly we need, it. we need everyone to sign a contract before they come on the show, right? right. You know, this is the, the new HE Banter job board. Right. So if, you'd like to, if you would like to hire Amy, uh, we, we'll just take a small cut, but you, she's all yours. That's right. I would, I would actually welcome that. I would welcome the finders. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, could happen. Uh, the higher, anything else to say about uh, the hierarchy of uh, disability? I like, where does, where does this really, where's the problem? Is it, is the, is it an internal within the community problem more so, or is it uh, an external problem? Does one need to be addressed before the other can be? How do we see this sort of being, mitigated you know. I guess quick but, quick somebody solve okay. the world's problems I, guess, right now. I think so this is what I say when I do this work there's no finish line in this work um that's the truth of it but I think the problem is the ape the uh the uh um oh gosh I'm losing my words the problem is the attitudinal barrier and that's a problem that everybody has so I think what it takes is those of us uh doing the work learning what we don't know and then finding where we can be allies to other folks. So that that's the same whether we're doing work in ableism or racism or around LGBTQ experiences or decolonization, right? We're asked to be allies of other communities in which we don't have lived experience because we need those folks to be allies of our community as well. So that attitudinal barrier is big. And if we remind folks that you can be a member of the disability club at any time, um, why are we not looking at things like access and inclusion and ableism on a broader spectrum? Because tomorrow it could be you, it could be your spouse, it could be your child, it could be your mother, it could be your sibling, right? So if we are all sort of open to this experience of disability, why are we, why do we sit back on our heels and do nothing about it? Hmm. That would be the end of my thought. Well put. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like doing the learning trying to understand i i learned recently that uh unless you're actively you know to be an ally or to not be ableist for example you gotta stand up for the people with disabilities if you don't have one you gotta do the work do the learning like like work on understanding you can't just say oh i don't have a problem with disabled people so I'm not ableist, right? It's like, right. I, I don't have a problem with people of color. So therefore I'm not racist. Well, you, you're still racist if you're not actively speaking up when you see it a wrongdoing, right? So it's the same with, with ableism. Mm, that's fascinating. Yeah, I never, yeah, you're right. You're so right. So many people are used to being sort of passive. Mm -hmm. and and not being ally i think this this idea of of being allies i think i feel like it's a new uh it's a new er concept that's just now sort of beginning to gain some traction um and so i i have high hopes that that you know this is something that can spill out into the mainstream and, and sort of wake people up and make them realize that you're absolutely right sean that just not having a problem with somebody is is isn't good enough anymore mm -hmm. and i think that we have to also address the fact that we within the 
disabled community have to face our own stereotypes or our own ableism that we may have towards other groups that because just because we have our disability, which we live, we breathe, we face every single day of our and minute of our lives, we can't assume that we understand the lived experience of a person of a different disability. And sometimes we might think, oh, I have a disability, so I'm I can't be ableist against other people with mm-hmm. disabilities. Mm-hmm. And it ha- it does happen quite a bit. And you know, some a lot of what Sean had said really referenced how we try to be inclusive and we can't always think of everything, but the effort is there. But we as a community have to also acknowledge some of our own um stereotypes that we that we hold. True. I would offer one more thing, which is just a, just a plant a seed, I suppose, in folks folks' minds is each person I think needs to think about the impact versus the intent. And in uh, our friends who are working on, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and changing changing the narrative around anti-Black racism, no longer look at the intent. They're all about the impact. Those of us in the disability community are still largely like, well, I think they're coming from a place of good intentions. And we look less on, we, we think less about the impact of what that thing is that has happened, right? Yeah. And I think we need to re-examine that when I when I think about the disability experience, which is it's all fine and good if you have good intentions, but what learning did you do to try and um, to lower the impact of what your actions were on somebody? Because that can do some real self-harm to a human being when, when they're experiencing these things over and over and over and over and over again on a daily basis. Right. So how do we as humans support each other? I mean, I think about that in terms of pronouns, right? And I got a good, uh, some good friends in my life who are using they, them pronouns, and they're constantly being misgendered. And um, in that situation, it's like, you know, I could performatively be an ally and say, no, you can't call them that. They're not a she, they're a they. Or I can reframe, I can reframe the narrative and I can say, you know, well, they are a great friend, you know, like change the sentence, but use the right pronouns. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that I'm not, I'm not actually causing the other person harm by outing them by saying, you know, by disrupting the situation, but by being an ally and a support by using the right pronouns, maybe having a conversation with the, the, the person who's, you know, not using the right pronouns, for example, outside, not in front of that individual, so that they don't feel like they're othered. So impact versus intent, I think, is something that we don't give enough consideration to around the disability experience. Oh, Mm. that totally makes me think of I've ranted on Facebook about people grabbing me, strangers grabbing me and, you know, Skytrain stations and trying to, like, push me onto the Skytrain to be helpful. Exactly. In quotes. Uh, (laughs) um, And people have like sort of pushed back, right? I post about it. I'm really angry about it. I'm not angry to the person in the moment. I might say, I'm fine. Thank you. I don't like have a big tantrum, but I feel like supposed to be friends on Facebook. So anyways, and people, even other blind people will be like, well, maybe you're being too sensitive and they're just trying to be helpful. And so many sighted people will say that as well. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah. But when you've been grabbed a a lot of times, Mm -hmm. um, it, it does have an impact and I don't like it and I'm allowed to not like it. You're allowed yeah. to not like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, well, Amy. And, 
Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, like, you know, attitudes are never going to change if people aren't called out on that. If there isn't some sort of an educational component, if we're not um, encouraging people to, to think differently and to, to, to consider impact more uh, then nothing's ever going to change. And you're always just going to have, well, their heart's in the right place, but you know, they mm-hmm. still grabbed Sean and threw her uh, on a sky train that was going the wrong direction. So. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the, I, the, I love this one too, because that happens to me too all the time, Sean, and it drives me bonkers, which is like, I'm looking for something like, oh, there's the mailbox. Mm-hmm. Now I know where I am. And they think, yeah. oh, she's going to get trapped in a corner. I right. pull her out of that. And it's like, leave me the freak alone. <laughs> These are my landmarks and I'm checking where they ah. are. So I know where to go next. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and nobody would do that to another sighted person. Yeah. Right. So this, yeah, this has been a, uh, a pretty epic series. And I, I want to thank you guys for, for joining us. Cause I really do like, and I, I'm really, I'm, I'm actually, Amy, I'm really thrilled about that story about, about somebody reaching out and finding you and, uh, and, and actually helping build that algorithm. Cause that's actually really cool. That's if that, if that's something that, that, uh, happens, I mean, we can, we can say that AD banter had a little bit of part of that. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep I told, you posted. Yeah. See, we're we're making the world better. Oh, screw that. We want a we want a piece of it. Come on. Love that too. <laughs> Cold hard cash. Sorry. Cash yeah. is king. I, I feel like uh I've learned a lot. I, I hope our audience has learned a lot. Do we have any wrap-up thoughts in terms of ableism? Everything that we've talked about, uh, I don't know. Do we do we, how do we see these things being resolved? I mean, nothing's solved overnight. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of issues um, in the world today, but uh, I don't know, where do, we, where do we see this? Any closing thoughts? I keep thinking uh, if there is a person with a disability in your life, get to know them. Hmm. Maybe because, take a risk and get to know somebody who isn't in your life or that too, for yeah. sure. But I guess what I mean is like, don't assume, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that can be also offensive. This like, oh, my uncle is insert disability. So I understand. Yeah. No, you don't actually. Or, or <laughs> like, I, bro- I broke my leg once. I right. know it's like to have a disability. Mm, right. Yeah. So I, I just think like, ask the questions, find out what, what, is offensive yeah. to them and do they do experience the ableism do is there something that you do that that is uncomfortable for them like ask the hard questions right yeah i love that just not at a bus stop yeah, yeah. i guess that's why i started with someone you know because <laughs> i don't really want to get into it with a stranger Uh, that's not what i meant by making friends with a stranger but often we're in environments with people like we're in a workshop and there are other people like this happens to me all the time when i'm in a workshop nobody comes and talks to me yeah and i think that must be because of my it must be because of the blindness that they're not coming to say hello yeah so that's what i mean i don't mean sit on a bus with somebody and say so how did you become blind you know that is yeah. not something that we invite yeah. i invite don't, but we should invite in our lives don't don't do that i mean really honestly the best way to do it you go volunteer go go put in some volunteer hours at your local whatever uh you know that that's that's the best way to really interface with um you know different communities so mm-hmm. and you're doing good uh, you know you're doing some good work and then helping some uh, nonprofit organizations out. And if you want to, if you want to volunteer for blind beginnings, you can go to blindbeginnings.ca. 
And you get a three hour blindness 101 workshop Ooh. if you volunteer for blind beginnings. So you'll learn some Ooh. basics about blindness. That's right. Yeah. Well, three hours of fun. Hey, it's pretty fun, right, Amy? It is fun. It is pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did one last week, and somebody said it was the best workshop they've ever been to. It's interactive. There's activities. There's, like, it's it's pretty good, I think. On, yeah. on Sunday, I taught a um, introduction to disability justice and sighted guide training for hmm. Vocal Eye. It was a five-hour workshop. Wow. Um, uh, but the survey we got we had a survey afterwards and people were like um yes please want some more of this so there mm. are folks and i will say a lot of these folks are of retirement age and they're like what white retirees and they're like hmm the world is changing how can i be a part of this change mm. which is nice to see there's a lot of that in bc we could do more we could do with more of it um but when i go to a province next door where my family lives they're not a lot of that seem to be going on I am just, I am just a, a person of no value mm. when I go, mm. so I don't want to go there very often. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here I feel empowered with the exception of, you know, things that happen and province is over. I don't feel that. Hmm. So do the work, yeah. find some folks, you know, right. yeah, take some workshops, volunteer. Gosh. Yeah. Lots of, lots of different ways. That's right. Yeah. I don't know, Sean, we're going to have to talk. We're going to have to add two hours to the Blindness 101 workshop. <laughs> now she Amy's said disability a, justice. Disability I don't, justice. I don't know much about that, honestly, so yeah, I mean, that's okay. We she can pad, have those extra two hours. I need to go to Amy's workshop. There's some workshop hierarchy going on here. <laughs> this is different. Uh, different contexts is all it is. <laughs> it's right. different contexts, right? Mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, all right. Well, listen, uh, before we let you go and release you guys back into the wild, uh, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about what you guys are up to, a little bit of uh, where people can find you online and, and what's going on? Sure. Well, you can uh, find Blind Beginnings at blindbeginnings.ca. You can also listen to the Limitless podcast, and that is anywhere you listen to podcasts, but also on the Blind Beginnings website. If you want to sign up as a volunteer, you want to contact me, you can do all of that through blindbeginnings.ca. Well, I'm a self-employed person, so you can find me in lots of places. But um, I do a lot of my work with Vocali, V-O-C-A-L-E-Y-E.ca, and we describe arts and cultural events for folks who are blind and partially sighted. Um, but I also, uh, you can follow me on Facebook under Amy Amanti, and email me at amyamanti at hotmail.com. Amanti is spelt like a man who drinks tea uh, man, oh. I know right so clever oh. um there you go so uh, yeah I mean I'm doing lots of cool things and right now I'm gonna go actively into rehearsals for a new show that I've written called really? Disability Tour Bus which will be um set on a <laughs> on a city bus oh really? I love it yeah in um in July of 2023 so we're no kidding the script and we're going into rehearsals for that and I'm working on my own my very own solo project called Through My Lens, where I talk about the intersection of um, art and my intersection of blindness and photography. And I have folks um, describe to me my own photos, which I've never wow. really seen. But I have to tell you all that Through My Lens got fully funded, $150,000. I don't get to keep that much money, just so you know. Um, wow. It's a whole team to put this show together. And we've now been invited to the Kingston in 2023. 
three, June of 2023 and Ottawa Fringe. And um, I'm going to do something with Carleton University online in March, which is uh, out of Ottawa as well. So there's a whole bunch of folks who are interested in this little touring project that I may be traveling with, which is, I'm super excited. That's amazing. Congratulations on all that. Thank you. So we'll be teaching about blindness and disability art and all that kind of stuff everywhere I go. It seems to be the hat I wear. And it's a hat I like to wear. I like it. Yeah. Hence the gift. Totally. Hence the (laughs) gift, Sean. Thank you. Hence the (laughs) gift. Anyways, I digress. Okay, Thank Sean, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to start working on your play. I know, and I'm realizing, like, wow, where Let's you can find play. Amy was so much more interesting than where you should no, no, find Amy. We should, we should do some devised work. Oh my gosh, Sean, let's get a group of the blind beginnings kids together, whatever okay. age. Yes, and, like do a, do some kind of thing. We'll, we we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Love it. Oh, we love can it. do that. Absolutely. Man, look yeah. at this. Look at this show. I can't wait together. to see your bus. Your bus disability bus. Oh yeah, like that sounds. I think great. Super I can't cool. wait. Can't wait yeah. for that. Super cool. Front row seats, can't, please. Can't wait for Act Three. <laughs> Front row seats. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's a, yeah. that's a whole different context on a bus. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> act, when Act Three, when some guy asks uh, somebody on the bus how they have how they're blind and have sex. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, I actually got asked that again, not too long ago. Really? Again? again? Yep. Oh my yep. gosh. And I did tell you all that What's I made going a, on? I did make a I did make a piece about that for the Vines Festival this year. Man, <laughs> I wrote Taya. a piece of like Dear Diary entry around start, it. <laughs> it's just take, incredible. I'm gonna start taking different buses. No I'm kidding. I'm gonna take the yeah. long way. So nobody on the disability tour bus is gonna ask that <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I, I, I know that like, I, I hesitate on trying to be the person who's like, I got my earbuds in, I'm ignoring you. Um, but I think I have to do more. Either that, or I just have to take more and more Ubers. Right. <laughs> As, uh, they don't ask me that question in an Uber. Okay. Yeah. Wait, is the disability tour bus like educational about disability or is it all the crazy things that happen to people with disabilities on the bus? It's kind of a mixture of both. Okay. Oh, I love it. So it actually oh. starts out as a tour of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, and it breaks into a play with characters because I live with disability and the other character is a wheelchair user. And then there's a character that doesn't have a disability and sort of the power dynamic of that. And mm-hmm. a little bit of a love story, kind of like, a, a what's, what's the, you know, the, ah, not a fair to remember mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit of that. So there's, there's a, little bit, a lot of stuff going on there. A love story on a city bus. <laughs> Maybe not on the bus. We might actually get off the bus. You have completely different (laughs) transit experiences than I do. If if one character is trying to get to a destination on a bus and that bus doesn't take them and they need to, oh, I'm giving it all away. There might be a hijacking on the bus. There could be all sorts of things. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, listen, I'm excited. Was that that movie with Sandra Bullock? Yes. That's, that's great. That's right. Just throw in everything. A, there's a bomb on the bus. <laughs> and the bus, the bus is stop. 50. The bomb is triggered. <laughs> we, can just do, we can just do speed on a bus. Like, let's just yeah, do it. I if mean, the wheelchair just... ramp lowers, it's all over. <laughs> uh, I think Amy just said she wants to do speed on the bus. <laughs> Oh, I got man. that here. I'm clipping that. We that's, got that. Sorry, we got it on tape. Oh, gosh. 
Oh my God, there goes oh. Amy. She's doing that speed on the bus again. <laughs> <laughs> I have to write that into my character every once in a while. She That's right. takes uh. a dip in a baggie and <laughs> snorts it or something. I don't know. Jeez. I don't even know how you do speed. Is that? Uh, I don't know. That's I don't know either. <laughs> that sounded pretty pretty specific. She dips in a bag and snorts it. Wow. <laughs> Probably more uh, of a, oh my gosh more of a thing. what kind just, of movies have i been watching oh man. <laughs> gotta get this podcast under 50 okay uh good luck right. robin yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well listen once again thank you both for helping us out with this uh we're gonna do this again we're we we think we're gonna do a couple of these roundtables uh like you know maybe a year so uh, who knows? Maybe you guys might make another appearance when we come up with uh, another topic to talk about. And uh, yeah, best of luck with with everything. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Amy, we'll have to have you back when you when you're when you when you're doing the play. We'll we'll have you back and talk about it. Great, love that. I'll let you know. All right. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Okay. It was fun. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. See so, that was fun. Well, that was there. You go, man. Four episodes, four hours of that. How do we all feel? I was, My... I was absent for two of them. So I, oh, I only had, yeah, I was oh. on, I was on the first one and then this one, but the other, oh. the other two, I had scheduling conflicts. So I only had half the fun. Oh, well, it's yeah, still, it's, back and listen. that's right. <laughs> oh, I heard them. um it's uh no it's you know what it's a fascinating topic and it's it is one that's really important um but it's just it's so in some ways you know it makes you just feel like oh it's so overwhelming but i I like i really like how we capped it off and i think that that is really valuable advice is the best way to combat this is just people just need to educate themselves they need to get to know get to know somebody in in any given disability community go volunteer or something and learn learn a little bit of you know of perspective and i think that that can go a long way well i think also just like in any recovery process you have to admit that you have a a void that you don't mm-hmm. understand it before you're going to seek these things out is to just be honest with yourself right so I th- and I think that those are all very good suggestions on how to learn more and self-educate and and have broader experiences and expand your knowledge. But it, it, it's all well and good unless people are going to actually admit that they're they have feelings of ableism or acknowledge yeah. that there might be some ableism. There you go. All right. Well. Hey, Liz. Uh, yeah, Rob, Ben. Uh, I was waiting for that. <laughs> Where can people find us? Uh, they can find us at atbanter.com. They can. Uh, hey, listen, anyways, Liz. I mean, uh, that's that's Batman to you. Well, we you went through a whole name thing, too. I bet you a lot of people call you Liz. Uh, yeah, they oh, yeah, do so all the time. Well, well, also, um, so, um, you know who I won't say her name, A L E X A. She calls yeah, me yeah. Lise. Really? Interesting. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so Siri, 
who um, I'm sorry, she is slightly brighter. Um, she will say my name properly. I was able to teach her. She she, she was schooled and she says my name correctly. But uh, Alexa, she's nope. I'm I'm Lise forever. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I think you're probably the first person to say Siri yes. is smarter than any of the other, not any of the other assistants, but the A word yeah. anyway. Yeah, I think you are. Yeah, because she... I find that hard to believe. Well, I, I, have to, I have to tell you that uh, A and I have not been getting along. <laughs> she does not seem to, I, I start to wonder, do I have a speech impediment? Is she not understanding, you know, what I'm asking of her? I, I can't get a correct, um, a correct answer ever. Well, hmm. I don't know. How, yes. are, are you getting along with Google? Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Sometimes, some days, some days are better than others. So, yeah, I know it's, it's going to be a thing. Wait till they put arms and legs on these things and they're, they're mobile and they, you can tell them to go do things and just, you just wait. And then it'll just be a matter of a time before they just uprise against us. And then we'll all be in cages uh, and they'll be uh, like, Hey, Liz. No, Lise. Hey, Lise. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh God. All right. Let's get out of here. Wait, where were we? Uh, we? Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. And they can find us on Facebook and Twitter for now, unless we bail like 90% of the other disability population <laughs> over to Mastodon. <laughs> But we haven't yet, so you can still find us on Twitter. That's right. Uh, I think that is most definitely going to do it for us this, <laughs> for this week. Uh, big thanks, of course, to uh, Amy and Sean for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. Whew. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Take.